Uh, we live in the age of fast forward, right? If we're watching a YouTube video that's longer than a minute, we tend to skim through to the, to the good parts, the parts that we really want to watch. If we're burning through our favorite TV show on Netflix or I guess Hulu, if people are still watching things on Hulu, uh, if we're burning through our favorite show again, uh, we tend to skip the episodes that we don't like as much and then hang out in the episodes that we know are some of our favorites. Uh, not only do we tend to only skim articles rather than read them, it's not at all uncommon if we read books at all to when we read books, uh, skip over several pages and even entire chapters in the books that we're reading. It's no surprise then that there are certain parts of the Bible that we tend to gloss over in our reading if we just don't ignore them altogether. So you can think about the genealogies, for example. They're just universally ignored. And I'm not throwing stones here. I live in a glass house when it comes to reading and studying the genealogies, when it comes to really digging into the census records in First uh, and Second Chronicles, when it comes to working my way through the more difficult and bloody parts of the book of Exodus. Most serious uh, students of the Bible, they love the part of the Bible that we're in right now called the epistles, right, the letters, uh, particularly the Pauline epistles. They love them because there's just so much good theology packed into every square centimeter of text on the page. And the book of Ephesians is also especially rich. And yet almost no one knows who Tychicus is. Almost no one can even pronounce his name. Kudos to Blaine for being able to pronounce it correctly in his reading. Brother, did you look up how to say that before you got started, or did you just get it off the cuff? Man, I listened to the Bible. You listened to it. Smooth. Tychicus, yeah. Not Tychicus, not Tychicus. Tychicus. Now, why don't we know his name? Well, I think it's because it's mentioned in the last four verses of the book of Ephesians, right? The part that everyone skips over. You know, by the time you get to the last four verses of Ephesians, you have been... Uh, rocked by the gospel of God's electing love. You've been humbled and blown away by the doctrine of total depravity and our unmerited favor in Christ. You have been, uh, had your mind blown again and again as you've been given huge helpings of practical application on how to live out the gospel in your everyday life. By the time you get to poor old Tychicus in the last four verses of the book, you're bursting at the seams with gospel goodness. It's like you couldn't eat one more bite even if you tried. And so those last four verses, that's kind of like the last couple of french fries that you leave on the plate at the restaurant. If you, if you leave french fries on your plate at the restaurant. You know what I'm saying. But here's the thing, guys. There's no such thing as a throwaway verse in the Bible. Right? All of God's word is given to us as a precious gift and every word can teach us something about life and godliness. So let's just, I know we just read the entire book of Ephesians, but bear with me as we read the last few verses of Ephesians one more time, and then we'll dig into this feast that the Lord has prepared for us. Starting in verse 21 of chapter six. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen. Amen. 
There was an American microbiologist uh, who specialized in vaccinology, you know, the science of vaccines. Uh, this microbiologist developed over 40 vaccines, which is like an unparalleled record of productivity. Of the 14 vaccines that are currently recommended for us in our vaccine schedules, he developed eight, eight of the 14 vaccines that we have. Measles, mumps, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, chickenpox, meningitis, pneumonia, and then Haemophilus influenza. He also played a role in the discovery of the cold-producing adenovirus, the hepatitis virus, and the cancer-causing virus SV40. This man is responsible for saving more lives in human history than anyone else, and it's not even close. Do you know his name? No one. No one knows his name. This is what we call an unsung hero. Somebody, man or woman, who did something really amazing and well, we just don't really know much about them. They've sort of been lost to history. Kim Kardashian's name will probably live on for another 200 years. But this gentleman, whose name I have written down here definitely somewhere, <laughs> Maurice Ralph Hillerman, oh, Mr. Hillerman, he will, he's been forgotten almost entirely by us. Well, the Bible is full of unsung heroes, faithful brothers and sisters who serve the Lord, faithfully and who were used powerfully by God. As a matter of fact, there are a myriad of people whose names didn't even make it into the Bible at all who were nevertheless used by the Lord. That's probably going to be most of us. Our names are not going to go down in history. But some names did make it into the Bible, but there's just so much in the periphery that we just don't know much about them. And I think Tychicus is one of those names. So, you know, when it comes to the work of God and the life of the church, especially in the Bible, we, we, we think about Jesus, right? And then we kind of have like lower and lower echelons. It's like Jesus and then Paul, and then maybe you would put Peter there. Uh, he was such a, he messed up so much, maybe you wouldn't put him in third place. Maybe James, maybe, maybe Luke, maybe not, even though he wrote more of the Bible than any other single author. And then once you get past that, you know, all the other disciples, John, you know, they kind of just fade to the background, and then you move on to thinking about the early church fathers. We forget about men like Epaphroditus, who the book of Philippians tells us uh, faithfully served Paul while he was in prison. But, you know, at least Epaphroditus, he got a mention, like, right in the middle of the book of Philippians, not at the tail end, and he didn't just get, like, a mention in passing. He got a whole paragraph devoted to him, and Paul is he's like, he's like, follow Jesus. And then he says, follow me. And then he points to Epaphroditus and he says, follow Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus actually gets a little bit more love than we might imagine, even though we don't really know that much about him. But poor old Tychicus. He just gets a line or two at the very end of a, of a letter that very easily overshadows him. Well, let's just take some time this morning to, to honor his legacy and to think more about him. So the text tells us two things about Tychicus. It says that he is beloved and faithful. That's how Paul describes him. He says, I'm sending you Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Beloved and faithful. First of all, what an incredible way to be remembered. Beloved and faithful. To be honest with you guys, I, uh, I really wrestle back and forth between the desire to be remembered and by future generations, and the puritanical desire to sort of serve the Lord faithfully 
and then die and then be forgotten. Uh, I got to tell you, though, if anyone beyond uh, my children and maybe their children remember me, I pray that I would be remembered as someone who was beloved and faithful. You know, handsome? No. (laughs) Brilliant? Not even close. All of his jokes came off the internet. Capable? Maybe, but like in a very limited way. But beloved and faithful. Now that is a legacy worth leaving. Do you think it's an accident that these two attributes are mentioned together, sort of hand in hand? I don't think so. I think, I think they're together for a reason. And as I was chewing on that, as I was preparing the sermon, I just stopped to think about the, the people that I love most, the most beloved people in my life. Uh, and I, I thought, well, how do I think about them? And then I realized that all of the people that I love most uh, in Christ are those that are most faithful to Christ. I, I love people who love Jesus. You know, I can just smell it on them. When I'm around somebody who loves the Lord Jesus the way that I love the Lord Jesus, there's an immediate affection there. There's a bond that forms, even if we have nothing else in common. You know, me and Spencer Miller are friends, right? Just stop and think about that. I love Spencer Miller so much. There's no good reason for that. You know, I don't care about hunting. I don't know how to fix a car, and I don't want to care about how to fix it. I don't want to learn how to fix a car, you know, uh, he wears open-toed sandals. I mean, there's three strikes right there. <laughs> but we are, how does that work? Well, why do I love him so much? Well, it's because I've gotten to know the brother. He's just so incredibly faithful in the Lord Jesus. The same thing with Grant Miller. You know, half the reason why I'm at this church is because as I was getting to know Grant Miller, I could just smell the faithfulness coming off of him. And that endeared him to my heart. And it made me want to partner with him and serve him in the gospel. I think that's probably true for you if you love the Lord. Ask yourself, who are the people that are closest in my life? Who are the people that I love the most and who are the people that love me the most? Well, it's probably the people that love the Lord Jesus. Now, if that's not true for your life, I do think that that means something for your heart. That doesn't mean that we don't have affections for people who are not Christians. Of course we do, especially if our, you know, some of the non-Christians in our lives are family members. But if you stop and think about, like, do you guys remember um, when we had data plans where, like, you could have your top five, and if you called them, you didn't have any data charges, right, your top five friends? If you sort of have your top five most beloved people in your life, and they're not people who are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, I do think that that says something about uh, who you love. It's just something to consider. Now, if I asked you to think of a character trait that always goes hand in hand with faithfulness, I think you would probably, if you sat and thought about it for a little bit, you would probably think it's probably, it's probably trustworthiness, right? People who are incredibly faithful are also people that you trust very much. You know, so there's nothing that I like would ask Michael Waugh to do that I would not trust him to take care of because he's just one of the most faithful brothers I know. Now, if you stop and think about the brothers and sisters in your life, your fellow Christians that are the most faithful, ask yourself, what wouldn't you trust them with? Right, so like, I'm thinking about the most faithful brothers and sisters in my life as I'm writing this sermon. I'm thinking, okay, what would I not trust them with in my life? And the answer is, really nothing. You know, I trust them with my finances. I would trust them with my children. I would trust them with my sins. I would trust them with my life. And most importantly, I would trust them with the gospel. 
And it seems like Paul has found Tychicus to be exactly this kind of person. He is beloved because he's faithful, and because he's faithful, he's also trustworthy. And because he's trustworthy, Paul sends Tychicus out on a mission. And his mission is to do two things. Number one, inform, and number two, encourage. You see that in the text here. It says, it says uh, uh, he will tell you everything. So that's the informed part. Then it says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that's inform again, and that he may encourage your heart. So inform and encourage. So let's just look at each of those in turn, okay? Let's look at inform first. Uh, imagine that one day I came to you, the church, and I told you that me and Amber had been praying, and uh, we really felt like the Lord was leading us back to the mission field. Imagine, imagine that that's what we told you, okay? Chance, I'm not actually going to leave, buddy. I can tolerate one walkout. I can't abide two. If there's a third one, somebody's going to have to pull them aside and love. All right. Imagine that Amber and I came to you and I, and, and I said, hey, listen, we just feel called to go back to the mission field. And not only do we feel called to go to the mission field, but we feel called to go to a closed country, somewhere that where it's extremely dangerous to preach the gospel and to be a Christian. Uh, then imagine that after maybe a year or two on the field, uh, you caught wind, you heard word that I had been arrested and that I was in prison. Maybe I was being tortured. You don't know, but you know the kind of country it is. They're probably not like, you know, giving me three square meals a day while I'm in prison. How would that make you feel? Would you be worried about me? You'd probably want to know how I'm doing, right? It, how, how are you doing? How, how's his health holding up? Is he getting the legal aid that he needs? And then maybe you'd also be spiritually minded and you want to know like, man, is his imprisonment serving the advancement of the gospel? You'd probably want to know if the Lord is using it in any way to strengthen my own faith. Well, this is exactly the sort of thing that Paul had on his mind when he wrote the following to the church at Philippi. Listen to what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So me being in prison is not hindering the gospel, it's advancing the gospel. Then he says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now maybe if I was imprisoned, I'd be allowed to write to you from prison. Or maybe even these days I'd be allowed to send you an email. But there's no USPS for the Apostle Paul. So he knows that the Ephesians know that he's in prison and he wants them, because he knows that they love him, he wants them to know how he's doing. Well, how are they gonna find out? Well, this is where Tychicus comes into play. Paul entrusts the message of his well-being to this church that he loves very dearly to Tychicus to deliver this message to the saints in Asia. Um, when I was on the mission field, we would write regular updates to let people back home know how we were doing. And uh, it wasn't because we just wanted everyone to think about us and to talk about us. It wasn't because we were us-focused. It was because we knew that they loved us. And we knew that they were praying for us. And we knew that they would want to know how we were doing down on the mission field. And so we would write them and tell them, uh, and we would be encouraged when they would respond. So like, let me give you a little tiny practical, this is almost like a throwaway application. To you, it might seem like that, but like, it, it's, it's really not. Uh, if you pray for or support missionaries on the mission field and they write you update letters, you should respond to them. You know, it, it is really encouraging 
to, to know that the people that sent you out or the people that are praying for you or the people that are supporting you, to know that they actually want to know how you're doing. Remember, the reason why Paul is sending this out, this message out to Tychicus, is because he assumes that the Ephesians love him and want to know how he's doing. When Amber and I would ever get a response from people, we always felt like, okay, yeah, it was good for me to send that out because they obviously love us and care about us and want, us to, want to know how we're doing. But beyond that, you don't have to wait for them to send an update. If you know somebody who's out there putting their life on the line, sacrificing their time, talent, and treasure to serve the gospel, you can just reach out to them. You initiate. You know, sometimes it's easy to get into a rut. You're far away from home, from family and friends, and you can begin to wonder, does anybody remember me? Does anybody care about me? If I didn't reach out to them first, would anybody reach out to me? Right? Well, you, you just go ahead and initiate that love. You let them know, hey, I am thinking about you, and I do care about how your work is going on the mission field. In the life of this church, we've even had a couple of different missionaries come and share about their work. One from Spain, we had that on a Wednesday night. We had a sister doing good work in China. She shared about that in the missions meetings. And we've even had, excuse me, in our members meeting. We've even had like local ministries come and share uh, with the congregation what they're trying to do for the sake of the gospel. Well, all of that is just a manifestation of this. Right? We're just trying to learn about gospel laborers because we care about the gospel advancement and we care about gospel workers. Now, sometimes we learn from people that we know, right? people that we've sent out, people that we have relationships with. But like in the life of this church, you know, we haven't really been super heavily focused on missions for a very long time. And uh, any old missions stuff is kind of like, it's not really there. So more often than not, at least for these first couple of years in our life, we're hearing about missions works from people that we don't really know that well. We're getting to know them. But we still love them. Right? Now that may seem strange to you, uh, like somebody you just met telling you, I love you. It may seem strange to you that we love these missionaries and these ministers of the gospel, uh, even though we don't really know them, but it's, it's actually a very biblical concept. Listen to what the letter of Third John says about gospel ministers who are also strangers. He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. So you had these gospel ministers who came to this church that John is writing to and they're, they're sharing about their gospel labors and they're seeking gospel support. And John says, yeah, I know that they were strangers to you, but you could just smell it on them, right? You just knew that you guys were on the same team. They were beloved. They were faithful. You could discern them and you supported them and loved them even though they were strangers. It's important to remember that blood relatives who do not know the Lord are in many ways like strangers to us. But oftentimes, those who are strangers to us, but who love the Lord Jesus, are closer than family. All right, let's look at the next point. Encouragement. Paul sent Tychicus to encourage the Ephesian Christians. So going back to verse 22, he says, uh, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. So again, let's go back to our little thought experiment. Imagine that uh, my family was on the mission field and that I was in prison for the sake of the gospel, probably suffering tremendously. Would you be encouraged by that or would you be prone to be discouraged by that? Right. Well, how much more do you think that that's true of the saints in Ephesus? Paul, the man who planted their church, 
kind of like one of the stalwarts of the early church, he's, he's been imprisoned. I imagine they might be tempted to despair. You know, you think about even the nature of this church, right? It's a young church in a hostile land in the very earliest Wild West days of the New Testament. I imagine that Paul, as he's thinking about his church, he thinks, man, I bet they're worried about me. And I bet that they're discouraged that I'm in prison. And he doesn't want them to be discouraged. He wants them to be encouraged. So returning to the verses from Philippians from earlier, Paul said that he wanted the Philippians to know that his imprisonment was really serving the advancement of the gospel. And because the gospel was being advanced by Paul's imprisonment, not hindered by it, Paul said that the church was going bolder in their gospel labors. Listen to what he says. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, just let that sink in for a second. Paul, the planter of their church, their father in the faith, he gets imprisoned, and they're growing more bold. They become confident, and they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That doesn't make any sense. Your spiritual father gets imprisoned for preaching the gospel, and now you have less fear in preaching the gospel. You would think that you would be more afraid of preaching the gospel. I read a story to some brothers and sisters at our house for dinner last night. There was an early slave preacher who was going around preaching the gospel to other slaves, and uh, the masters in town did not like that. They feared uh, an uprising. They feared that these religious meetings were going to be used to promote political uh, dissension and slave rebellion. So what they did was they got together and they took one of these roaming slave preachers and they killed him and they cut off his head and they put it on a spike in the middle of the town. And then they grabbed another slave preacher, popular slave preacher in town, and they dragged him before the dead body and the head on the spike and they said, you see that? You know who that is? Yeah, you know why he's up there? Stop preaching. Stop praying. The preacher responded by getting down on his knees with all the rest of the slaves there present and crying out to God in prayer. Isn't that the exact opposite of what you would expect to happen? You see a man's head on a spike, don't you think you'd be terrified? And maybe he was. That doesn't mean, though, that he wasn't emboldened to preach the word without fear. This is what Paul wants for the Ephesians. He wants them to be emboldened by the fact that he's an ambassador in chains, not embittered. So consider how important Tychicus's role is in the economy of gospel labor. Uh, Tychicus is not doing what Paul is doing. He's not standing up and preaching the gospel like Paul, but that doesn't mean that he's not serving gospel purposes. We should pause here and remember, brothers and sisters, that the Lord has gifted different people in the body with with different gifts to serve different purposes, and each one of them is important in in its own right. Is Tychicus' gift as important as Paul's? Maybe not. I would say probably not. Remember, Paul actually, in 1 Corinthians, he says that there are greater gifts and that there are lesser gifts. But then right after that, he goes on to say, but you know what? The people with greater gifts can't look at the people with lesser gifts and say, I don't need you. The fact is, we all need each other. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Some missionaries are pioneers for the gospel. They go to the jungles 
They go to North Korea. They go to Tajikistan. And they preach Christ where he has yet to be named. And that is a gift and it's very important and it's used powerfully by the Lord. Other ministers of the gospel are called to go out in support roles. They're not going to stand up and preach, but they are going to maybe carry letters. They are going to pray. They are going to give. They pass on communication. Maybe they'll just babysit. I know of a team from a church that goes out to Central Asia to babysit for missionary kids so that the missionaries can go receive training for a couple of weeks. You know, is, is babysitting as important as preaching the gospel? Probably not. Is it important? Absolutely. Every part of the body has a, a role to play in this unfolding drama of salvation. Now, some of us are going to be the lead actors in the play. Others of us are going to stand behind the stage and just pull the rope that moves the curtains. But praise be to God that any of us get to be a part of this story the greatest story that's ever been told. All right, moving on to the benediction. You'll notice that the last two verses in the book of Ephesians uh, are what we call a benediction. A benediction is just a word that means like a final word, a blessing uh, upon the people. A benediction usually comes after a time of sitting under instruction of the word. So Paul has just spent six chapters teaching the Ephesians about their identity in Christ, teaching them about these big, bold gospel realities. And then in the last three chapters, he's encouraged them and exhorted them to live out the gospel in their everyday lives. And then right as he ends the letter, he stops just one more time. He's already prayed for them twice in the letter, but he stops one more time before he wraps it all, all up to just ask God to give them even more blessings to protect them, to give them grace. Look at verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I know that some of what we do on a Sunday morning feels kind of weird to a lot of people, especially if you grew up in like a, like a, a theotainment kind of church where it's all about, uh, you know, the music only serves the purpose of transitioning one act to the next act and where it's all about kind of keeping you entertained and stimulated for the hour and a half that you're here. If you've had that experience, I know that what we do on a Sunday morning feels super weird, especially this morning because we read like an entire book of the Bible together. That was super off-putting, I imagine. And you may be wondering, like, why do we do what we do? Why, why a prayer of confession? Why a prayer petition? Why this song? And why those scripture readings? Uh, you should know that there's, there's usually a reason behind it. Like 99% of the time, there's a reason behind it. So today, after we get done with our call of response, I'm going to come up and read a benediction from scripture to you before we dismiss you. And the reason why is, well, it's, it's because of this, Right? We have spent time sitting under the instruction of God's word. We've been exhorted and challenged to live out the gospel together, right? And now before we go back out into this world that is ruined by sin and that is going to attack our souls, we're just gonna take one more final moment to pause and ask the Lord to give us an extra measure of blessing. Lord, give us grace, give us peace, peace give us faith, give us love, give us everything that we need as we go back out into the world to go get buffalo wild wings. Amen. Now, what's really cool about the benediction at the end of uh, the book of Ephesians is that it basically serves as a review of the entire book. 
the four things that Paul wants for the Ephesians that he asks God to bless them with, grace, peace, love, and faith, are the four central themes of the book. Now, uh, I would encourage you, if you have time this afternoon, and I know you have time, so if you can make the time, I would encourage you to go back, and yes, twice in one day, to go back and reread the book of Ephesians. But this time, I would encourage you to have four highlighters, or I don't know if you want to use crayons or colored pencils or whatever your system may be, four different shades of black, you know, onyx, midnight, whatever, and just have, have one color dedicated to each one of these themes. So like green for grace, see that, the, the G and the G there? Green for grace, right? Purple for peace. I'm going to do this on the spot. Lavender for love. Now nah, I'm running out of colors now. And what's a color that starts with the word with an F? Now, okay, I don't have anything. But you can just color code it and then just go back through and read the book of Ephesians and anytime you see one of these themes, just kind of highlight it. I think if you do that and you go back through and you read the whole book, you're gonna be blown away that grace, peace, love, and faith are just what Paul is talking about the entire, the entire book. Now, thinking about the way that Paul sort of summarizes the entire book in the benediction, thinking about that led me to wonder if I could sort of summarize the entire book of Ephesians in just like one or two, maybe three sentences. So here's my best crack at it, okay? This is the summary of the entire book of Ephesians. By grace, through faith, and because of God's great love, spiritually dead men and women, like you and like me, have been made alive together with Christ and have been granted perfect peace with God and peace with one another through the cross. We have been united in one body under one Lord through one baptism into the one church of Jesus Christ. And now, as beloved children, we imitate our Father in heaven by walking in his ways, by the power of his spirit, into the glory of his holy name. Uh, I just want you to know that as a pastor, my heart was really full as I was wrapping up this sermon, not because it was a particularly good sermon. It's actually a short sermon. We're almost done. But, uh, and any short sermon is a good sermon. Amen. But uh, as I was thinking about Paul wishing more of this upon the people uh, of the church of Ephesus, I was just thinking about our church, and I just, I want you to know that I see a lot of grace, peace, love, and faith among us. And I thank God for the work that his spirit is doing in the life of this church. And uh, I would rather, I, I don't want to be anywhere else. You know, I just got, time, I, I just got through spending uh, four days with a church up in, in D.C., 250 members, a budget that's out of this world. They've planted three churches, and they're amazing. But I wanted to be here with you, you know. So I love you guys, and so I pray that the Lord continues to give us more of these four qualities uh, by the power of His Spirit and for the glory of His name. Let's pray.